Foggers, have we got a treat for you today? Smack dab in the middle of Shamalamarama, our summer series featuring the works of M. Night Shyamalan. We are accompanying today's discussion of the sixth sense with a conversation with special guest and author Josh Larson. Josh is the co host of the radio show and podcast Film Spotting, as well as editor and film critic at Think Christian, a faith and culture website. He's been writing and speaking about movies professionally for more than two decades, but the main reason we wanted Josh on is because he just released a book this month called Fear Not, a Christian appreciation of horror movies. And well, if there's any jam that's our jam, faith and horror is kind of the fog's jam. <laughs> so we wanted to have Josh on to discuss his book and maybe to additionally share some thoughts on today's film, Sixth Sense. Josh, I know I speak for Reed, and I'm pretty sure I speak for our listeners when I say welcome and thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you so much, Nathan. And yeah, I pretty much wrote the book for your podcast. I, I figured, you know, <laughs> we appreciate it. There's, yeah. there's this show that um, would really love a book like this. So yeah. why not write mm-hmm. one? So here you go. And I appreciate that the royalty checks are going to show up monthly. So, you know, oh, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. good, good luck with that. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and scene. Um, so, you know, what's really funny, Josh, is uh, you and I have never interacted, but in, in prep for today, I was trying to find your email address to send the Zoom link. And what I discovered is that though we have never interacted, the Internet has tried to make us interact in that mm. al- algorithmic way the <laughs> internet does. Because when I searched your name uh, from October 25th, 2016, Twitter recommended you to me to follow. So my apologies. It was amongst a smattering of things that I just, uh-huh. you know, these internet services <laughs> send out these emails. Yes. Okay, like, I did not ask for this email. Who is this Josh Larson? <laughs> and here we are seven, eight years later. <laughs> so I'm glad Hi. it finally worked out. Yes, I'm glad we got around to it. I am drowning in that currently because with a new social media channel that's popping up every week that as someone with a book, I feel like, you know, I'd rather leave that whole world, but that would be very unwise. So instead I'm diving in and I've got recommendations coming from so many directions, so many faces, some recognizable, some new ones, which is kind of cool. I mean, that's the nice thing is if I can connect with some new folks this way, but yeah. I'm drowning in that stuff now. I mean, I'm threading, I'm tweeting, I'm, uh, I, I don't know, I'm losing track of what I'm doing. So uh, it's kind of wild right now on the social media it's, front. I feel I like as it. a pop culture person, you'll at least appreciate this reference that I actually made on another episode recently. You remind me of uh, uh, Sarsgaard in Andor when he says, I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. So, you know, welcome <laughs> to the world of being a little a, bit, a little yeah, bit, being a sort of personality in the pop culture space in 2023. So, uh, anytime we have a new person on, we love to ask them a couple questions, some some icebreakers, if you will. Um, the first is a little more broad. I, I think, generally speaking, this might be your first 
formal foray into uh, the, the horror world, but feel free to speak to that because usually it's like, hey, well, I got you into horror. But I am just kind of curious for our listeners who may be unfamiliar with your, you know, kind of your canon and 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 what you've done. Like, w- what got you into the pop culture intersecting with faith space? What track yeah. that a little bit for us? Sure. So raised in a Christian home and thankfully by parents who never quite saw the conflict between being people of faith and checking out the biggest movies of the weekend, um, watching television at home. Uh, You know, this would have been, my mom was a big murder. She wrote fan uh, Magnum (laughs) PI. This is the era I grew up in. So those things were around in music as well. And so I feel really grateful being able to have had that understanding. Of course it got challenged as I went to Christian school growing up. And so there were other people of faith who felt very differently about pop culture. I was very aware of that conflict, Um, but uh, didn't really feel the divide until I finished college, wanted to pursue this as a career criticism, film criticism in particular. That's the one that really hooked me, the movies and saw that, okay, there's really no place. This would have been mid to late nineties to do quote unquote Christian pop culture criticism in the way I wanted to do it. It was mostly at that time, very fearful, very um, condemning mm-hmm. outlets that counted swear words, warned yeah. people against things. And there may be some value to that approach as I've become a parent have been for many years. Now I see some value to a type of discernment, maybe not that exact sure. type, but it just wasn't how I thought about pop culture or movies in particular. And so I went into the mainstream media uh, world for a number of years, was a film critic at a suburban Chicago newspaper and really enjoyed that. It wasn't until about 2011 when I had an opportunity to join Think Christian, which came out of the reform tradition, which is a little, to me, in my experience, that's also the one I grew up with, has a more holistic understanding of culture and God's sovereignty over it and things like common grace. Um, you know, that God's truth can be found in all different places. And I thought, okay, I could do this. Like this makes sense to me to think about movies this way. And so I was fortunate to become the editor of Think Christian, have been there over a decade now, just doing that alongside other folks who love pop culture the way I do, and thinking about those things from this particular Christian posture, which is still discerning, but really more about being appreciating. And that's why I wanted that word in the subtitle for my book, a Christian appreciation of horror movies is to really yeah. express that this is the posture we're taking without throwing discernment out. Um, we want to lead with that posture of appreciation and, and thanks for the creative gifts God has given people and the way it's expressed. That's yeah. You're yes. You should. That's awesome. On it sometime <laughs> <Yeah>. because <laughs> I, I, yes, that is all exactly. Uh, You're with kind me. Of our, You're with me. Okay, approach. good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're and, tracking and, yeah and and slight backstory here that i didn't anticipate throwing it like reed and i went to uh, a small liberal arts christian school in north carolina that's how we knew each other for about close to 25 years now and just you know kind of kind of sharing a lot of those ideological notes you're you're hitting there and um you know kind of the the birth of the fear of god wasn't utterly dissimilar from what you're describing of just hey we're people who like these things we don't uh we 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 understand how to exercise discernment uh, but we're having conversations about this and sure. we think they're kind of fruitful and, and interesting to us. They might be interesting to other people. And so here you have this thing running along for seven years now. Yeah, so that's, that's great. Really awesome. Um, so 
you know, the, the second question we like to ask, it, it, it can be as light and fluffy and funny or as deep and existential and profound as you want, but like something that we, that has developed around the fear of God over time that, that I don't know that either of us saw on the front end happening uh, was that it, it, it was what, what began as let's just talk about horror movies and kind of assess them from this particular perspective became this like bigger conversation, simply using that as a lens. Uh, in other words, uh, this, this mantra that's developed around the show is, is examining what scares us to find what saves us. And, and the, 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 that scares us, uh, just happens to use horror filmmaking as it's sort of, you know, the hub on the wheel, as it were, it's like, okay, mm -hmm. we're just going to use that as the artifact that's going to help us assess, analyze, consider the things that actually do make us fearful in the world. Uh, and, and so it's become this really interesting evolution in terms of the ethos of the show. And so, you know, something we just like to ask is, is what scares you? Uh, again, you can be as, as deep and profound as you want, as light and silly as you want, but it's just something we find interesting and, uh, find ourselves talking about a lot. Sure. Let me give you a, I mean, it doesn't feel frivolous to me, but maybe a more frivolous one first, then I'll get into a more sure. serious one, but probably claustrophobia in movies is something that hits me pretty hard and so i think of a film like the descent from a number of years ago oh, about yeah, these sure. cave divers who encounter I, I won't say any more than that but it it starts out rough with those tight spaces they have to work through and only gets rougher and so things like that i find i'll really tense up uh if i'm watching a horror movie that employs that conceit of claustrophobia sure. in any way you know, the larger one is probably, I think this changes the, the more existential one you're asking about, depending on what period you are in your life. Sure. I'm, you know, what, nine months removed from turning 50. And so you start thinking about, it's not even as vague as death. It's more about the body telling you, you should start thinking about death because sure. i'm not Amen. you know you get tired more you're sore more just these nothing major not even major health issues but just like you're noticing that you're aging and i think for that reason in recent years i'm connecting in a way with body horror that is huh. both deeply disturbing uh, and beyond just the gross factor, but it's, it's disturbing at that more existential level to me. And I think it's related too to, you know, now I'm older. So my, you know, people in my parents' generation are older and they're experiencing this at a different level. My grandfather is still alive at 99 and, you know, struggling with dementia and think about the handful of horror films. Um, Relic is one that comes to mind in recent years that sure. are grappling with that same experience. A lot of those fall into the body horror category which is fascinating to me. And so I would point to that one as more of the less, it's not so much the visceral claustrophobic reaction, but the deep dread of, yeah, this is something in the back of my hot, in the back of my mind on a fair amount, number of days. And these movies are, you know, we'll probably get into this in relation to the book. These movies are yeah. the worst of them are exploiting that the best of them are allowing me to process that yeah. in a way that helps me to look towards what can get me through the other side. Um, I think that's, that's the helpful use of horror movies in some ways, if they're not looking to just exploit your fear and the best of them, I think do that. So yeah, that's maybe the second part, uh, the answer to the second part of your question I'd give. 
I feel like you're uh I feel like you're reading my mail because just lately, <laughs> like I've been like, dang gummit, my back won't quit hurting. I wake up grumpy, I don't feel like I slept well. My it's foot rough, hurts lately. Man. I'm like, why the crap is my foot hurting? Nothing happened yeah. to it. <laughs> Nothing you know, happened. Anyway, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so completely true. I heard I uh my wife and I had the opportunity not too long ago to go see a jazz standards and stories concert that Tony Danza performed. And in that he said, yeah, you go to bed one night and you wake up with a broken leg. And like, what? I, just, I didn't do anything. I said, what happened to my leg? In the middle pretty of the much, pretty much. <laughs> so, um, no, and, and it's interesting. You bring up body horror. There's a couple of things that I want to highlight, but we'll, we'll go through them in piecemeal. So, uh, Diving right into your book, uh, I have a sequence of questions that we want to ask, but just sort of go wherever the conversation flows. You mentioned body horror. You have a section in your book on body horror. One of my, a, a movie that has become valuable to me over time is, is Cronenberg's The Fly, um, in terms of wrapping metaphor around that. And I, what I found so, so much an appreciation that I have for your book is the way you categorize these different segments. Uh, and and not exclusively working in subgenres, but kind of grouping things together in what they're interested in and framing that in a way that's more accessible to the 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 reader. So my question to you is, um, what uh, basically informed the structure of this book? How did you decide this is how I want to tackle this topic, and and this is how I want to go about introducing this appreciation to readers? Yeah, thanks. That's that's a great question because it makes sense to me now looking back on it. But it was the challenge of what's a way into this topic. And this was something of a commissioned project by Fuller Theological Seminary. They have a real okay. spirituality, real spirituality monograph series. And they were looking to answer this question for Christians is what's the value of the horror genre? And so that yeah. was the basic question we started with. I had been writing about this to some degree over at Think Christian for a number of years. We always would phrase it a Christian defense of horror movies. Oh, sure. And so in that sense, it was, here's why we feel like it's okay to watch these movies. And that was where I started thinking about fear on its own. And what is the purpose of fear for the Christian? Why is fear such a element of the Bible? So many Bible stories are about fearful things, horrific yeah. things. And we, you know, see that really a more Christian response to fear is to address it, to confront it, recognize that it's there, dig down to why is it there? What are we fearful of? And then here's where it ties in, you know, to the, the mantra for your guys show is what is the gospel? What does the gospel offer in response? Mm. How does it response? How does it respond to all our fears, but maybe this fear in particular? So yeah, to go back to the fly, um, you know, for me, one of the basic fears we do have is that existential one I was just talking about. The subhead yeah. I give the body horror chapter is fear of this mortal coil, yeah. right? We, at some point, we have to recognize we're finite beings. And mm -hmm. even for those, um, even for Christians who might believe in the new heaven, the new earth, that's still terrifying, right? This is, this is still something um, our mortal selves that we have to wrestle with. And I think movies like The Fly that really confront that make us recognize it. Um, it's crucial for that processing part. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's how that's how The Fly came in with body horror. But each chapter did end up being it is essentially a subgenre of horror slashers. Um, you know, is one category creature features, monster right. movies, and then the question became. Okay, is there a common theme that some of these movies explore? Not all of them in this subgenre, but some of them right. explore. 
for? And then can we kind of organize the chapter around that fear that they're all exploring? So that's how the structure came about. No, that's that's very, very helpful. Very interesting. So something that, uh, going back to your answer to the question of like how you got into this, it's it's fascinating to me as I've engaged your work. So a little bit of setup for me. Probably the first time I heard your name in any substantive degree was the, your first book, Movies or Prayers. So uh, I encountered your work by reading that first book and I was like, oh, this guy has what? Think Christian? What is this? What? Film spotting? What? <laughs> like that's, that was my gateway into Great. the Josh Larson world. Um, but what I so appreciated about that book and what I sense you trying to do with so much of your work is to build bridges of understanding. So side little sub uh, commentary as a, a, I pose myself as a film critic, maybe it is just posing, but um, one of the things that I always find difficult is that when you're engaging a conversation with someone, there's somebody that to something you alluded to earlier, they just kind of want to count content. Like just what, what am I going to encounter visually or audibly? What am I going to experience? Yeah. And then there are people who may be a little bit more inclined to dig into what is this telling me and what is this about and what's it interested in? And I have always felt that those are very different conversations. And what I appreciate about what I sense in your work is I sense an earnest capacity to try to bridge those gaps and try to bring both of those things into the conversation. Um, and so I definitely sense that with movies or prayers. Um, and I want to see how that, you know, obviously this was a commissioned work, as you said. Uh, is there an intention or a desire that uh, maybe somebody uh, who doesn't feel that they, you know, they are just sort of consumer report content counting will start thinking about these films in a new way? Is that something you're trying to do or is that just a byproduct of engaging this subject? It's probably not goal one, but it's it's a part in the back of my mind. I'm keeping that audience, that reader in the back of my mind while I'm writing. And hopefully, you know, when I'm talking on the Think Christian podcast and writing there as well, because I love it when I hear that that happens. Probably you know, goal one, maybe that's goal one A and goal one is just to celebrate the art form from a Christian perspective. I think that's again, why appreciation there is in the subtitle, but yeah, goal one A is definitely to provide a place for those who are open to thinking about film in particular and art in general from this perspective and then showing them how it can be done. So both of my books, I don't consider definitive. I don't consider that the only way Christians can think about movies is to divide them into certain types of prayer, which was the project of the first book, right? right Similarly, right. I don't think that the only way Christians can engage horror movies is by slotting them a subgenre according to one of these particular fears. What sure. I want to do is make the argument that this is how Christians can think about movies two ways, and then this is what it actually looks like to do that. So it's very important to me not to just make the argument. I think there, you know, even back when I was in college in the 90s, I found books making the argument for the artistic value of movies from a Christian perspective, theoretically, thankfully, mm. because those were helpful to me. And I think yeah. maybe in the last 10 years or so, we've started to get books and other projects of showing, okay, we can do this. Now, how do we do that? And right. So that is a main goal for me in both books. And you only do that by paying specific attention to what's happening on the screen. You talk about cinematography, you talk about editing, you talk about the scores, the performances. Mm -hmm. And then I think we can get closer to 
people being open to the artistic sophistication of these movies, and then maybe start thinking about what those might suggest thematically, ideologically. Because right. I think when we go in worried about the message first, a lot of mm-hmm. guards go up. People immediately put yeah. guards up and immediately you people can take that defensive posture. But if you can right. start the conversation with saying, you know, how about the editing in that psycho shower sequence? Have you ever experienced anything like that? And let's right. talk about how right. effective that was. Then I think you're building the bridge more to use your term and mm-hmm. you have common ground. And then you can start working more back towards, if you want to, questions of theme or narrative or sure. ideology. But that's kind of how I've been looking at it. It's interesting. I, I think Nathan has a question that I w- want to give him some room to, but just co- piggybacking on one thing you said there, I've grown as a movie appreciator, just as I- I've consumed movies constantly. So I always joke that movies are my sports. I'm not that into sports. Movies are my sports. Like I just, okay. that's what I imbibe all the time. And in terms of like stats and stuff like that, I'm following award seasons and all this stuff. But I can remember, because I grew up in a Christian home as well, that I can remember like when I would watch something like The Wicker Man. I'm tracking mentally, the first, first time I see it, I'm tracking mentally, how are they going to resolve this tension, this thematic question that they're asking, and how are they going to resolve that, and where are they going to land? And when I was, I'll call it, this is my word, when I was less mature in my digestion of film as an art, I would so often make it about that question. Well, then mm. it, it, it's going to come down to how they resolve it, and that's going to be how I feel about it. I feel mm. like I've I've largely grown now to the place where I can that is still an element of it. Sure. But to to the point you so eloquently illuminated there, it's how is the structure and the form and what what is that doing to me? What is that uh how is that engaging my senses and how is that engaging my imagination? And uh that can often yield some great results somewhat tangential to what the film ultimately is is saying. That's what we love the idea. Another of our mantras is that we explore, we don't explain. So mm-hmm. uh, it's yeah. one of those things where it's like, we love to just dig around in here and see what we can find, which is often very surprising. Um, yeah. So anyway, I appreciated a lot of what you illuminated there. Sorry, sorry, Nathan, I didn't mean to. No, no, no. I, I was just going to, you know, highlight what I love. What you said there, Josh, that, that I've always, I don't even know that it's really from an academic position, but for me, I've just always, uh, so I'm a middle kid. Um, so I've always just been like the weirdo, you know, and like, uh, I, and so because of that, I've always taken the, well, the, the sort of nonconformist position of like, okay, well, let's maybe, maybe let's not accept the thing just because, well, they had Jesus in the title or something like, let's dig a little deeper. Let's mm-hmm. find out a little bit more because maybe the ways in which this was made are pretty nefarious and terrible. And, and, and because of that, it might be worth discounting that kind of thing versus, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, and the counterpoint to that being, Oh, you, you know, you, the witch is a turnoff or the exorcist is a turnoff. It's like, well, let's, let's talk about what's really going on in what's being communicated. And, and I read and I talk a lot and I am, I'm empathetic to, and sincerely I'm empathetic to the person who's like, I'm just squeamish. I don't want to look at this stuff. Sure. Okay. I mean, that's fine. And and it's about knowing your limits, knowing, you know, what you can handle or not. What I don't have a lot of patience for is the, well, you shouldn't do X because, or you can't watch Y because like, well, okay, that's, that's really not starting from a position of health and maturity. That's starting from a position of legalism. And so I am a little curious, you know, for you, as you've, 
uh, kind of two part question here. Um, you know, as as you developed the content of Fear Not, one, did you encounter a new or a fresh that roadblock uh, occasionally? You know, and whether it's uh, in read readership or in you know commentators who who would say, oh, well, you still shouldn't really do this, or or you know, Christians still shouldn't do X uh, in this fill in the blank being watch horror movies. But the so that's kind of the annoying side of the question. The fun side of the question is like, did you discover any new horror movies for yourself that you really liked <laughs> in, in developing the material? So yeah, yeah. So just getting the book out there now. So we'll see what the reception is like. I I do know I can tell you. You know, I think Christian, as I said, number of years ago, I wrote that article, Christian Defense of Horror Movies. And yeah. since we've launched the Think Christian podcast uh, a couple years now, we've done an annual Halloween episode titled that. And we tackled a couple different horror movies. That's cool. And so each year we will get, you know, inevitably someone making that claim that you should not be considering these at all. I think those lesson as, you know, the the circles that think Christian is moving in and the book is circulating in are probably becoming more and more um, circles that are receptive to the idea already, which is cool. That's sure. great. I'm, I'm not, you know, looking to have fights, happy to have the, the discussion with people who want to have that in, in good faith. But the question of discernment, which is kind of what you're getting at, the, the way I put it, and I spent a little bit of time on this in the introduction, um, not too much because I really wanted to get to the work of the, the project at hand, but I talk about Christians having freedom to watch movies like horror movies, but also freedom not to. And you touched on this, uh, you know, a little bit, Nathan, when you were talking about the squeamish element, um, just that because it's a problem for me. And when you're talking about discernment, I think it goes beyond squeamishness. That's understandable, but really discernment is about material or content that, you know, and this may be because of your own temptations, your own failings. Um, that it's not good for your spiritual life to watch these things. And I think we, as people who watch a lot of stuff, need to be respectful of that when sure. others say that. And they may not put it in those terms. They may just say to you, yeah, not for me. And so we need to be careful and not be like, well, are you a prude? Like, what's your, you know, what's your problem? Because I think that's a very legitimate exercising of discernment, um, especially when it comes to the horror genre, because it can be exploitative of violence. It can be exploitative of sexuality. And if these are things that people struggle with, then um, absolutely they have the freedom to discern not to watch those things. But then the leap is when someone will put that restriction that they place on themselves on everybody else. And that's where you know I think it does start to be more legalistic and less graceful. And that's where things can start to cause issues. So um, so that's kind of a distinction. I don't know if that helps with yeah, what you were yeah, getting yeah. that, making that distinction. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I never, the, oh, then sorry, I guess, you go ahead. No, that's okay. The the other part, did you, you know, did you discover any new films uh, that you weren't familiar with through this process? You know, a couple I watched for the first time that did, um, you know, were very fruitful for the book, uh, terrifying <laughs> for the experience, but Tetsuo, <laughs> the Iron Man. That's uh, a wild okay. movie, man. Woo! I've not seen oh. that one. Yeah. It's bananas. Um, bananas is a good word for it. And <laughs> again, so glad that I had the opportunity. It was one of those that I always knew I needed to get to at some point. Mm -hmm. And so that's a dirty little secret of a project like this. It's just like, okay, if I'm going to write a book about it, then I have to sure. watch that. Right. So right. I just want to make sure, sure to homework. get that. And, and yeah, homework. <laughs> right. 
And also <laughs> it, um, you know, the book gave me a chance to catch up on a few other things, not quite like that, but just that got by me somehow. So like the purge, this was my first mm. chance to watch <laughs> the first purge movie and didn't, um, you know, go on to watch all of them, but it's one I knew that I would probably resonate with the, the very concept and did to some degree, um, didn't come out of it liking as much as maybe I'd hoped, but appreciated some of it was sure. of what it was going for. So, so did end up including that in the book. Otherwise it was a lot of revisiting of things. Yeah. And, um, those proved often, as you can imagine, to be rich as well. You know, I've always been, had my reservations about the exorcist. Some of those remain every time I watch that, um, I grow a little more in appreciation for it. Not enough to please the people who think it's the best horror movie of all time, but still those are always, yeah. Might or the best here. movie of all time. Josh. <laughs> okay. That's my, uh, it's, wow. It's, that's your, your yeah. talking partner read right now. It's, <laughs> my, it's, it's, it's my favorite film, not just my favorite horror film. It is, it is my favorite film. Yeah. Not yeah. sure I will ever get there, but I, but I am, I am for you. You will. <laughs> yes, probably. Yeah. So yeah, the, the revisits were rewarding as well. Yeah. Um, so I have a, a piggyback question on that. Uh, was there anything that you wished you could have included? Cause I, one of the things I find really impressive is the book is, is comprehensive while still being concise. It's very easy to digest. Um, and yet covers a lot of ground. Uh, was there anything that you wish you could have spent more time on and kind of had to make the cutting room floor, either a chapter or a few films that you wish you could have included with a bit more uh, direct attention? Yeah, thankfully, nothing is on the cutting room floor because uh, the real monograph folks were very explicit about the goal of the project and the scope of the project from the start. Awesome. So it was meant to be this concise, a prime audience that they had in mind were college students, um, huh? you know, primarily at Christian colleges who will be assigned something like this for their film class, mm -hmm. which is fantastic. I, I love hearing that. And I love going to speak at college chapels and other things because the college students, especially who, who have grown up in Christian homes and have been somewhat restrictive about what they could watch, then get to college and suddenly no rules, they can be adrift about how to practice that discernment. And so I love talking to kids when I get on campuses um, about these sorts of things. Sure. They're so receptive to it. So I wanted to be sure to respect the word count limits that they wanted to have on this so that it could be something that a class could read, you know, within a week or two to yeah. then talk about within their semester. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the explanation for why it is much shorter than it could have been uh, and <laughs> sure. why we don't have like a chapter. I would have loved to have done a chapter strictly on say Japanese horror or mm, Jalo yeah. or, you know, all of these other subgenres. Um, yes, I think those would have been very fruitful to explore uh, as it is. I was limited to about the eight or so that I think we do have. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, this is a question coming to me in real time. I didn't prep for it. So I hope I, I ask it in a way that's, that's understandable. Um, one of the things that I've come to appreciate recently is, um, there, I do feel that the, uh, amount of people who are interested in specifically this intersection is growing. I think horror's in a boom right now. I think it's going through a bit of a, uh, I don't know if it quite could be called a cultural renaissance, but I do feel like there's lots of fresh voices in the horror scene and there's lots of fresh new stories being told or old stories being told with new sort of approaches. So I'm very appreciative of that. And along the way, even in doing this podcast, 
we've seen a number of people come along that I never, I was like, wow, I never realized that I always felt like I was a little bit of a unicorn sitting over here. Like, no, I love the exorcist, you know, but uh, I mean, uh, so <laughs> An many undead people, unicorn. Yeah. yeah clear. <laughs> it was. Zombie unicorn. Yeah. Put that on a sticker. I don't think so, they made but, that one yet. <laughs> <laughs> give it time. Give it time. But, um, I do feel like there is more and more of a growing appreciation for this. So this brings me to my question. Um, movie, both movies or prayers and uh, Fear Not are both somewhat survey books. I feel like movies or prayers is a little bit more, uh, as, you, as you had said in that one, kind of a- attempting more of a, a thesis statement illumination, whereas Fear Not is more uh, kind of a survey just acclimating you to the water. Like, hey, here's what's out there and here's yeah. kind of how you can approach the subject. Is there any interest or intention on your point to, you mentioned, you know, Japanese horror or giallo, any subject or any film, you write a lot of great reviews for your various outlets. Is there ever an intention to sort of devote a longer form work to a specific work that means a lot to you and maybe unpack more of that uh, in the ways that you do? Or is that something you haven't really entertained before? I have. It's a little daunting because, as you can imagine, that's a project with a much greater scope. Sure, um, you course. know, Movies Are Prayers is definitely a larger project than Fear Not was. But something that you're describing, yes, I've definitely thought about it. Sure, um, yeah. I, I'm tentative about even thinking more than a few seconds about it for for two reasons. It's it's just the scope of the project, what that would mean in times of taking time away from family and how do I fit it in right. with work and all that stuff. Um, but also, you know, it's it's just a matter of wanting to make sure if I were to do that, I would do it right. And yeah, I think where I would lean if I were going to do some to something like that is more a filmmaker's oeuvre mm-hmm. and try to filter that through, I guess, what you could call the lens of Christian film criticism. Yeah, understood. And that's been done somewhat um, here and there. But I think of, you know, I think of filmmakers like the Coen brothers who yeah. mm-hmm. we've written and talked about extensively at Think Christian and still i think we could benefit from a career overview summary of what does what do the ongoing spiritual questions they're engaging in every single movie what might that mean through a christian specific lens but man you're talking about how many movies have they made yeah and and how dense and rich those are so yeah sure a dream a dream project for sure also a daunting one i I think a filmmaker like wes anderson is ripe for that sort of investigation Mm. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's, there's definitely dream projects like that out there. And and most of them, when I think of them, they're less genre driven than what these two books have been and more probably filmmaker driven. No, that makes a lot of sense. So, so two things, and that's actually a really, really great segue, um, to the last thing we're going to talk about. But, um, so a few years ago I did this purely as a, I owed no one a thing, but uh, I wanted in one single year to go through the entire canon of Alfred Hitchcock. So I wanted to watch all the silent stuff. I oh, wow. To watch his British film period and everything, because I think somewhere it connected that there were roughly a little over 50 films. And I was like, well, that's one a week. I watch a lot of movies. If I just make sure that one per week is a Hitchcock film, I can make it through his entire canon in a year. And that was so rewarding to just be able to see. And I looked up a little bit, like I read a couple of books along the way and, and looked up a little bit like, Oh, that's why he did this project after that one. And, and see how 
the language of his understanding evolved over time and little techniques he would use or bring back or anything. That was so rewarding. And so I'm definitely a big applauder a, a of the overall film retrospective. And uh, that is not not with so much deliberate intention, but uh, you, we are interviewing you while we, the Fear of God podcast, are doing uh, something of a retrospective of the works of M. Night Shyamalan. So right. um, uh, we, we're calling it Shyamalamarama. Uh, we even have a little jingle for it that we yeah. really, really you can't love. resist. Can't resist playing with that last name, can you? No, it's it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful <laughs> gift. No, it's just a can't. beautiful gift. <laughs> so um, we even have his uh, his appearances in his films. We call them shamios. Oh yeah, we play we play all around with that name. There um, you go. But uh, but uh, one of his films uh, that features pretty prominently in your chapter on ghost stories is the Sixth Sense. So uh, we are this episode this this conversation we're having is part of a broader redux conversation that we're having about the sixth sense as well so um i'm just curious obviously uh, listeners go check out uh josh larson's book as, as a whole uh but specifically that chapter on ghost stories tell us a little bit about your relationship with the sixth sense or even the work of m night Shyamalan writ large wherever you want to go there so loved his work when i encountered the sixth sense as most people did one of the most exciting new voices his third film i believe right um at yeah, that point but third. still new to most people and just connected so strongly with it as most people did to the point that was almost as high on unbreakable love signs and yeah. defended him far longer than most people did. Yeah, <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it was through lady in the water. I was still obviously giving less <laughs> enthusiastic reviews, but positive reviews, you know, defending yeah. his work and, um, I think the sixth sense itself, it's still my favorite film of his, mm, yeah. uh, I think it's his strongest. And as a matter of fact, it, it cracked my top 10 horror films of all time. I've got that's it awesome. in, in the number eight spot. So oh, that's awesome. just incredible respect for the craft going back to what you were saying about form read is yeah. the, just the incredible mastery of form. Mm -hmm. from a relatively new filmmaker again not his debut but still and the emotional beats that that movie hits the characterizations the performances tony collette giving one of the best yeah. horror performances ever to my mind um yeah. the child performance performance of Haley joel osmond and it's about so much the rewarding thing about the sixth sense is realizing how Incredible the twist was, but how the movie didn't really need it every time you rewatch yes. it. Of course, it did agree. in plot terms, right? It needed it for that. Sure. sure. But that is not why it's still my favorite Shyamalan film. It's on my top 10 horror films of all time. That's that's really not all that related to it. So, yeah, love this movie and knew it had to be in the book somehow and do consider it. Maybe obvious, but people love debating these sorts of things like genre and subgenre, right? For sure. me, a ghost story and the fear that I suggest not all ghost stories, but a good chunk of them, the really interesting ones, the fear that they're exploring is guilt. Um, yeah. You know, hmm. uh, the guilt characters have that, that we have as viewers. And what's interesting to me about The Sixth Sense is it's the rare ghost story where the guilty party is the ghost. Usually the ghost is inducing guilt in the main mm -hmm. character somehow right yeah, um, yeah but in this story it's all about um the guilt that uh, bruce willis feels so yeah, so yeah i love six sons yeah and i, I so appreciate that because in your chapter you unpack a, another film we're very fond of here 
challenging for a lot of people, but we love the orphanage. You tough, you touch on the orphanage oh, uh, yeah. in, in your ghost stories chapter as well. And we're very, very big fans of, of that film here. But uh, I did appreciate how in your chapter, you uh, did explore that quite a bit that like, there's so many ghost stories where they're trying to convey something or the, uh, sometimes even accusatorily, or they're trying to illuminate something that's like, Hey, something has gone wrong here. Right. But Sixth Sense, as you point, I didn't think about it until you pointed it out to us in, in reading your book, uh, that Sixth Sense is the only one I could think of where it's like, it's the ghost that's guilty. It's him who has the journey to make. Most of the time, the ghosts are the catalyst for someone else taking a journey or someone else coming to a revelation. But that does make Sixth Sense even more of a unique sort of uh, sort of special film in that it explores that. Uh, of course, you don't realize that until you learn the ending that Malcolm is dead the whole time. Right. <laughs> but um, one last note on that, like we showed, we've been introducing my son. My son's been interested a little bit. He's 11 years old. He's been interested in a little bit of like, Oh, I want to start watching some scary movies. And one of the first places we, my wife and I wanted to introduce him to was the work of M night Shyamalan. Cause it's a little bit more palatable, a little bit more accessible. You don't have to worry about so many of the content in, in most of the films. We, there's some that we're just like, not yet, <laughs> but sure. Um, but we showed him six cents and that guy, I tell you, it was crazy. We were watching the whole movie and he was like a little, I, I don't know if I would say bored, but he was like enduring mm. it. He was just like, okay, okay. like I'm watching this movie and watching this movie. Like it's fine. When the ring clattered to the floor at the, at the end, and like <laughs> yeah, it rolls yeah. up. I wish, I wish to God I'd videoed it because my wife and I were both, we weren't watching the movie at that point. We we're watching him sure, sure. as his jaw just like slowly drops open. And he's like, what? And then he just gets up and starts pacing through the, through the last minutes of the movie. Oh, wow. Like, oh, my God. Wow. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, it was great to see somebody's mind blown like that. Yeah. It's rare to get to experience for a movie that old. You know, it's almost 25 years old now. And uh, it's it's great to think like, oh, yeah, that's that's cool that it can still elicit that response from first time viewers. It's really yeah. And to find someone who who doesn't know the twist and know it's right. coming. Right. Is amazing. We did that uh, similar experience with our kids. They had no oh, idea great. what was coming. So, yeah, which is rare these days. The day, you know, when you have the Internet, it's spoilers <laughs> are <laughs> are everywhere. So that was fun. I know. There's this really great part, and we we went back through it after my son's mind was like right blown. We went back through it and showed him a couple of the scenes, like where he's trying to open the door to the basement and he didn't right. see the table in front of it. Yep. Uh, of course, the anniversary dinner scene where he tries to grab the check, she can't see him, and just recontextualizes everything. But what I remember, and I don't know if you remember this at the time, I, I'm asking for, hey, check me on this if this is wrong, or uh, you know, affirm if this is right. This certainly wasn't the first twist in films. It wasn't. Like, obviously, like Psycho has a twist. Usual Suspects was prior to Sixth Sense. There's all kinds of movies that have twist endings uh, going all the way back. But I feel like the Sixth Sense somehow married the idea of a twist ending with horror films in a way that they hadn't been before. Do you think there's any validity to that? Or you think that's just like, oh no, it's uh, it, it was already well entrenched in the genre before that. In terms of a meta element to the movie with, yes. with twists, uh, it's possible. I mean, it's certainly the fact that Shyamalan would include some sort of twist in so many of his films, not all of them. Sure. And I think it became a bit of a, um, you know, a burden for, for him to bear as a filmmaker. It certainly makes you understand that it's something that was on his mind. He was obsessed with, it wasn't just a passing idea he had. So I can't really answer your question in terms of an exhaustive, you know, <laughs> right. I, yeah, yeah, I yeah. lean towards saying no, just 
again, because it's connected to how important it was to him. I think that had to be a born out of an understanding of twists relevance in the genre overall, prompting him to play in that sandbox in a way that was certainly more effective than your average twist, which is just a gotcha, but really connects deeply with the thematic elements of the movie. I think that's what, where the richness of the twist is when it comes Mm -hmm. to the sixth sense. No, I, I can totally hear that. Um, Nathan, I, I know I'm sucking a lot of oxygen in the room. Someone say this one's thing, and then you just go right ahead. It's like I'm a ghost up in here. You know? <laughs> We're used to it. Like, yeah, no, uh... We don't see you anymore. Okay, yeah, right. <laughs> You're just moving into the background. Um, but uh, another thing that's always connected with me a lot about watching Sixth Sense is, and again, I loved your illumination about the the guilt aspect of it. But I feel like you had said earlier that the film works exceptionally well despite the twist. Almost, you know, like even if the twist was not what it was. Uh, then the film still works comprehensively very, very well. One of the things that stood out to me in this most recent viewing is about communication. I feel like so much of the film is playing with people's inability to communicate with one another. It's happening with the mom and with um, Haley Joel Osment's character. It's obviously happening with Bruce Willis and his wife for reasons that don't become illuminated until you know the twist. But I feel like that film so richly explores the ways that people can have a profound affection for each other, fondness, and a, and a, a rich relationship, but still find it so difficult to have the words or to have, uh, you know, to, to find that kind of, of communication, which is something I've always appreciated about that film. Um, and bringing it back to an actual question or a talking point is, that's one of the things that I usually point to in trying to say something akin to what you've explored before about these movies are trying to communicate. Like so many of them uh, are, are born of expressions, either of the filmmaker's imagination or the filmmaker's worldview or something, but they're trying to communicate something to us. And as weird as it sounds, even though it could be viewed as a one ray relationship, we're communicating back um, either by what we take away from the film or by what we respond to because of the film. Um, so I'd, I'd be curious to hear your, I know that's not really formed like a well question. So forgive me for that, but uh, you're curious yeah. your thoughts about that subject in general. Yeah. I think, you know, that's really at the heart of movies, our prayers where I'm talking about it as an intercessory experience going both ways. Um, and that uh, these movies that are made are offered up intentionally or not um, as expressions, human expressions of the human experience that we as Christians understand God hears, whether they're directed or not. And, you know, that is a little different than the idea of let's find out what message is being communicated through this movie. And if it agrees, if it agrees with the Bibles, right, I'm kind of reversing the direction there. But um, when you were talking about communication in the sixth sense, I love that because it makes me think about Cole, the boy played by Haley Joel Osment, and how in the film he is a conduit. He's an unwilling conduit, but he is. And the my favorite Shyamalan scene relates to this. We did on yeah. film spotting. We're, we're all about top five lists. So we did um, not too long ago, our top five Shyamalan scenes and Ooh. both Adam Kemp and our, my co-host and myself without knowing it ahead of time, chose the same scene as our favorite from his filmography. And wow. it's the sixth sense where Cole tells his mom with the car, when they're in the car near the end, having that conversation, there's the accident where the bicyclist is killed and she finally is told what he's experiencing. And it's related to Cole talking to her mother 
Mm-hmm. And Tony Collette asks him, do I make her proud? Yeah. And that is just such a gut punch of a sequence on so many levels, but it does also demonstrate what you're saying about this theme of communication in the film and how Cole is this unwilling conduit, but here's one instance where he's able to be a conduit of communication and of grace and of forgiveness and of restoration. And I think for me, those are all reasons why it's such a powerful scene. And I I had to have it at the top of my list. Oh, that's awesome. No, uh, I'll have to go back uh, to the film spotting episode and and listen to that. I don't think I've encountered that one yet. That's really, really fun. That's that's cool. But Reed, you have to wait until Shamalamarama is over so they don't. (laughs) There you you go. Because we're going to make some lists. Yeah, yeah. Make your own list. Exactly. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. Uh, well, uh, Nathan, did you have anything either regarding Sixth Sense or, or regarding Josh's work that you wanted to toss out there again? I don't want to put you on the spot, but I just don't want to. I know we're in, nearing the end of our time. So, uh, <laughs> Josh, uh, Reed has the the sort of persona uh, through the fear of God, which is lackey the listicle. My man loves a list. He will build a list at the drop of a hat. Yeah, like make your top oh, five yes. lists of lists. What is your top five lists? And <laughs> yes. he will go to town and, and I've and probably thought about you. it. Yeah, I know those, yeah, I know yeah, those types. Like, well, I know those types. I've been I've waited for you to ask, is basically what Reed says. <laughs> My <laughs> moment to shine. <laughs> drops a little scroll out. I am not. I'm a I'm an, an intuitive type. I'm a feeler. And and yet at the same time, sixth sense, like um it 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 definitely circles my uh, easily top 10 possibly top five favorite films of all time i think it's beautiful i think it's wow um you know just a a it is uh i think Shyamalan at his finest beginning to end i think it it i, I asked reed this recently or even i think it was off pod where you almost worry that he stumbled on the the um the twist him being the twist guy like that probably I don't know. This is all just speculative on my part, but sure. it's like Shirley didn't set out set out to do that. You kind of got, as you so aptly described, it got burdened by this because I do think one of the brilliant aspects of Sixth Sense is like if the story is the journey of this child and his self acceptance, mm-hmm. that is pretty complete without uh, that revelation. And and so in part from a just mechanic standpoint, that's what makes that revelation that much more powerful is like, you didn't, you didn't even need this. It's just a beautiful bit of icing on this cake that Mm. also shows us, Hey, you've been watching this character journey too. But in the spirit of that, I think what really spoke to me this time around watching it for our conversation was just, and, and at, at risk of emotionality, like I've got three kids 14 and under and, and like the anxiety of Cole hit me in a way that it hadn't in a while. Uh, because of what I see my kids go through and, and, and not just uh, in a metaphorical kids have it hard way, but just in a literal, like these kids have it hard. And, 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 you know, Reed, you and I on, what was the name of the movie about the girl? And we talked about condescending uh, whole uh, like Mungo, like Mungo, like Mungo Mungo conversation. um, The notion of listening to someone came up like the ability to enter into to condescend came up. And I think what's so beautiful and powerful and challenging about the sixth sense is like uh, Malcolm has all the pieces he needs staring right at him. Yeah. And what's so incredible about the I am dead people scene isn't just the ultimate learning aspect. It's Cole telling him he's like, yes. Hey man, 
and and just this notion of our need to 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 set aside and it is hard y'all like my life is busy my kids come to me with needs and i catch myself being shorter than i want to be but like the need on my part like the fruit and good work it will do for me to 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 set aside self and just hear and listen and comprehend even if their burdens aren't things that necessarily burden me the 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 christ in me says you still got it like if you want to grow and bear fruit and be a, a good parent this is what it looks like you got to set this stuff aside you got to hear them they're telling you things that are being spoken directly to your face <laughs> and you're missing them you know yeah uh, so I, I don't know it just this time around that uh, just there's no other way to describe it just the anxiety of cold really really yeah spoke a lot to me well, and it's just, it's, it's vibrating off of Haley Joel Osment's performance yes. too. Sure. Um, Almost literally is, that poor right. child. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's so fascinating too, to think about movies. We saw those of us who are parents before having kids and then afterward. And I think you, that's yeah. not to say you can't recognize those same things. I think sure. it's a matter of degrees maybe, or um, just how personally or close to home it might hit. Um, when you do become a parent, then watch something like the sixth sense, suddenly, you know, Cole is not just this character we're rooting for or hoping for, but as, as you're describing Nathan, he's could be possibly a very close stand in for your own kid. And that makes it an entirely different and more harrowing experience. Yeah. Yeah. And what we're talking about, well, (laughs) this is going to feel like it was orchestrated. It wasn't, it was just a little happy, happy gift, but like what we're talking about, about communication and listening and receptivity and everything. So that's, that's another of our apparently collection of mantras we have on the show is is that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. Uh, We, we, we've reached the sort of the culmination of this conversation, Josh, I cannot thank you enough for all of the wonderful time that you've spent with us. Uh, We want to have you back just to hang out, let your hair down and talk about another movie with us. We would love to do that sometime. Um, Well, thanks. uh, yeah, we would love to have you back sometime. Listeners, um, uh, we we highlighted it at the top, but we want to especially, uh, the, the new book is called Fear Not, A Christian Appreciation of Horror Film. Uh, it's published by the Cascade, I believe, imprint of Whip and Stock. Uh, That's publishing. right. So you can go to Whip and Stock, W-I-P-F. A-N-D-S-T-O-C-K.com. Uh, you can find it there, but it's also available at all of the major outlets, I'm fairly certain. Um, so it is it is ubiquitous in the world. I highly recommend it. Go check it out. Josh also has uh, a, an incredible amount of work over at Think Christian and his uh, podcast, Film Spotting. I would also highly recommend uh, if you enjoy Fear Not or if you are not quite ready, if you're listening to the show, you'd love Fear Not. So go ahead and pick that up. But uh, also check out his previous book, Movies or Prayers. Um, Josh, we just so greatly appreciate you being with us. Where else can they find you that I may not have mentioned there? Where else can they find your work? Yeah, I mean, as I <laughs> joked at the top, I'm I'm in more social media places than I'd like to be. But if you're in one of them, just look for Larson on film, L-A-R-S-E-N on film and you'll find me there and yeah happy happy i joke happy to connect with folks who are um you know interested in this sort of stuff sometimes it's just getting through the weeds to find those people is getting harder and harder on social media but i sincerely appreciate uh your interest the both of you 
in yeah. not only the books, but just these ideas. And thanks for the work the two of you do on this show as well. I appreciate it. Well, thank Absolutely. you so much, Josh. Thank well, you, we Josh. very much appreciated having you. We wish you so, uh, so much success with the book and I uh, hope it does really, really well. And we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much for being here. Sounds great. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. 